Well, hi there. You're listening to Podcast is Broken, a brand new podcast series featuring me. My name is Brittlestar. That's your cue, guys. I'm Steve Boots. <laughs> I'm Lisa. <laughs> there we go. None of these are our real names, though, One. just so you know that. Um, no. So, yeah, so thanks so much to everybody. <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much to everyone who listened uh, last last episode, the first episode. Uh, we were just discussing the fact that uh, we are the, what was the number, Steve, in Australia? We are the 125th ranked news podcast in Australia. 135th? 25th. 25th. Oh, oh God, we broke the 130, oh, the top yes. 130. That's good. Right? Every Everybody dreams of the top 130. They do. It's, it's like it's like Goals. the radio, the radio show America's <laughs> Top 130, all that kind of stuff. That's what we want. So we're going to talk, yeah, we talked about a whole in Australia, it's just hosted by a dingo. Exactly. <laughs> it's too soon. Don't bring up the baby joke. Um, so let's, uh, let's, let's just dive in. What are we talking about uh, in this episode, uh, Steve? What are you suggesting you're talking about? So I was thinking we talk about uh, how hot labor summer has turned into hot labor winter and how everybody, including myself, is on strike these days. Yay! Mm. Because labor uh, power is people power. That's true. But yeah, the stick it to the man. Yay. <laughs> Good. As 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 somebody who is currently on strike, the it's it's such a funny feeling, right? Because it is like, yay, we're standing up for what's right, but also it's it's not an actual fun process to be on strike by any stretch. No. And, no. Oh I mean, my goodness. A... And like the 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 support this time is nice. I've been on strike before and had like drinks thrown at me and stuff. This time we just you have to wear earplugs because the honking's so loud. So you're getting people <laughs> who are honking. upset at you, like the citizens of the town are upset with you because you're striking. Uh, not this time around. Honestly, the public's been really, really overwhelmingly supportive this time. Like even polls are coming out showing the public's with teachers this time around, which uh, that's fairly rare. Like public supporting strikes at any sort of numbers is pretty uncommon. Um, I think a big part of it is because we're negotiating uh, in large part about like class size and class complexity, which the public really does care about. And uh, but man, uh, the like so I went on strike for the very first time. Uh, Saskatchewan teachers have been on strike twice, and I've been there for both. Wow! Uh, the is first it you? time are was... you the problem? Oh, obviously, I'm the backbone yeah. of the whole operation. Mm -hmm. But uh, the first time we went on strike for two days. And like I got bumped in crosswalks, I got drinks thrown at me from car windows. Uh, I like the amount of abuse we got and screamed at and stuff was like unbelievable. This time around, people are like dropping off timbits. <laughs> wow, that's how it should be. It that's sounds how it terrible. Be. I think it's so. interesting. I mean, what's inter though, what do you think's changed? Well, what, I mean, I'm just going to jump in to say that what's interesting to me about the teacher strike situation is that I think, and also just in general, the landscape is that. People are much more, you're right, they're like focused on labor, focused on the disparity between haves and have-nots, as it were, uh, whatever that definition is, um, and much more supportive. I remember like there was a teacher strike in Ontario not that long ago, um, and somebody made a really good argument against the people who were complaining about teachers being on strike and said, you know, they the criticism was, you already make a lot of money, why are you striking for more money? And the strike wasn't even about money at the time. But he said, to that point, he said, the strike's not about money, but also, why wouldn't you want to pull everyone up to our level as opposed to pull us down to your level? <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's fair. So, yeah, that's a good argument. 
it's the yeah. crabs in the bucket thing. Like, are you mm-hmm. familiar with the metaphor? I'm so familiar with the chaos who, song. Well, so for those who don't know, it, it it's this thing that happens a whole lot where like people, whenever there are people arguing that they should have higher wages, or that a group should have higher wages, people come chiming in saying, well, my wages aren't very high, so you know, whatever, they shouldn't get it. And it's it's based on the, the metaphor of the crabs in the bucket is the idea that if you have a bunch of crabs, actual crabs, the creatures that you are storing in a bucket, if one starts to climb out, the others will pull it back down so it's stuck in the bucket. And so the metaphor sort of carries over, right? Like people are people get in this mindset of like, if I don't get it, nobody should get it. And I don't really know what we do about that. It's a sensitive topic. I mean, anytime we talk about unions, you have like divided camps about eh, unions are antiquated and um, people get hostile about it. Like, and it's that whole, well, why should you get people negotiating for you? Uh, I don't get people negotiating for you. But I think what people fail to realize is that it all kind of works together because if there's if there's proven negotiated language somewhere, then that's referenced right for non-union work environments, too. Um, but people just get really pissy. Like I've, I've seen it in my TikToks. Anytime you put, uh, put union in there, you just get the, they just deal with them. It's ridiculous. So I'm not, I'm happy you're getting Timbits and not getting things thrown at you this time, Steve. That's the way it should be. So for now, there's this thing that I always wonder about, and I'm curious if you, (laughs) if you guys see this too, there's this very strange, like internalization of employers that people have where they fight for the owners and not the workers because they somehow think that that benefits them more they're like well you can't fire the bad workers like well you're a worker too why do you care about firing other workers you know what i mean like they get very employer focused Oh, I know. We'll get there. We're like, on our way. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> There's so much I can that's, say. That's a whole but... rabbit hole. Right. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting is that there's like, there's, you know, this notion that, uh, that you know, as Lisa, you said, like that, that people will complain saying the unions are antiquated. And there's always the arguments thrown back like, well, if, did you enjoy the weekend? Well, thank a union. And it's like, well, that's true. <laughs> but that was also decades ago. Uh, we should be past that point, but we're not. I mean, that's, I think that's one of those, it's one of these situations where it's like, cause I'm not, I'll be honest here. I'm going to be totally honest and be, I'm not a big fan of unions and only because of my experience with the unions every time has been terrible. However, that said, I also think it's a, it reveals, you know, just the nature of people and humans where it's like, well, no, you probably need someone to kind of speak up for you and, and to do things for you and to, and to negotiate on your behalf, all that stuff is good stuff. And to make sure that you're safe and make sure that you're taken care of and you're getting, you know, remunerated well and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, like personally, I've, I, I, I can't say that I've had great experience with you, both like with, uh, in media production stuff. And also, uh, when I was teaching briefly, um, like just the teacher's union sued the school board that I was hired at and lost. But still, I was like, man, I just paid you guys 50 bucks for every paycheck and I only made 75 bucks a day. And uh, now you're trying to get rid of me and you're spending all this money trying to get rid of me. But at the same time, I think it's, again, it's like one of those situations where you realize, okay, well, there's just people are people and just the nature of humans is that they're horrible and that you need, you can't trust <laughs> the employers to make good decisions. You can't trust the employers to do the right thing. And therefore you need someone to sort of speak up on their behalf. I, Anytime I, I hear anybody you're say- you really onto something. 
So <laughs> go ahead and leave it. <laughs> yeah, so, um, anytime I hear anybody say and I we're mean, on slight just delays, great. folks. I know, right? No, we're always on slight delays. Um, <laughs> but when I hear people say, you know, oh, my union does nothing or I've had really bad experiences, my question would always be, what was your participation in that? Did you participate as part of your union? Because that is the strength that helps um, when you're negotiating, when you're talking about different things, um, dealing with an employer. Uh, so that's always my question. A lot of times people are like, mm -hmm, I pay my dues. And that's all fine yeah. and good. Dues are great. But... Um, Participation is also key, right? So that's what I would suggest to people: get involved. Yeah. So I've so, I've been pretty heavily involved in the SAS Teachers Federation, and so like I I've seen it a lot from the other side of like, you know, I, I've had a lot of conversations with the people who are making the decisions and things like that. And my main takeaway in almost every case is that the people are procedural wonks more than they are like hardline politicos in most cases they're just about due process they're just about we got to do it right sure um and so there's a lot of folks like that but i think there's also just an element of um a lot of unions get lumped into a big pile and unions are vast and diverse like there are mm -hmm. unions within individual coffee shops like if you look like if you look at the older, more established, more corporate unions like a Unifor or a Cupy or whatever it may be, compare that to like the Amazon Workers Union, which is an incredibly dynamic, new, exciting union that's doing like pretty impressive stuff and showing like new ways to organize and all that stuff. Those get put in the same category. And that's really tricky, right? Because unions are, there's so many things. I can nerd about this forever. I know, me too. <laughs> I unions had, cover uh, a wide back variety of we workers, used to have a web right? Development so, company. oh yeah, they do, they do. Um, back when we had a web development company, we had uh, one employee at this, at this point, and she was amazing, still is amazing. Um, she no longer works for us. Uh, she's, I think, she's a roller derby star now in Atlanta. That doesn't, that's not, sounds like a joke, but does not. Um, and she. Uh, I think we were about to hire someone. She said, I think, I think I might sort of see if we can get a union going <laughs> with like other tech people, basically tech support people. And I was like, ah, I said, ah, okay. Um, like what, like why, why are you interested in doing that? Um, and she's like, well, you know, I just thought it might be a good idea to really stick it to the man. And I was like, I'm the man. I am the man. <laughs> I literally write your paycheck. I am the man. There's no one. If you stick it to the man, you're sticking it to me. Do I look like I'm living really well? <laughs> how, how, like, how did it feel to lock eyes with another human being and say, I'm the man. I'm the man again and again. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a desperate plea. It wasn't a bragging. It wasn't like, I'm the man. It was more a case of like, oh, dear God, no, that's me. So it, I, whenever I hear that sort of story, cause like, it's a fairly common thing, right? Is like the, if it's a good employer, they don't need a union and sure. you're probably right in a sense. So, um, but at, when you think about it at a larger scale, it falls apart pretty quick because the whole thing is based on trust. Mm -hmm. You have a relationship of trust with that employee. Yeah. They trust you, you trust them. 
that's awesome, but that trust doesn't really hold up at a systemic structural level, right? Because at a certain point, you're governed by your own interests just as much as she is governed by her own interests. Sure. And trust, to maintain that trusting relationship, you'll balance them, but your interests are your own interests, right? You're going to weigh them a certain way. And so by having unionized work and by having those collective agreements and by having those systemized procedures, that trust is then enshrined and systematized rather than just on the honor system. Because if in that relationship, even though you're a good employer, I believe, I'm assuming, uh, I don't know, the I'm, I'm the man employer. thing got me wondering. I'm a great employer and I'm the man. <laughs> <laughs> but even though you're a good employer, doing having it in writing, having it collectivized sure. takes that burden off of you too, right? It makes it so that those decisions are, you know, in writing, in contract, in well, I think that's that speaks to the 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 nature of humans again. It's like in psychology when they teach you about the uh, the pinwheel at diners and how the pinwheel, where you know you stick your order and you spin it into the kitchen, and that was to that was basically to to, to smooth out the relationship between servers and cooks because the cooks didn't like being told what to do by the servers, and the servers were tired of the cooks not doing what they needed them to do. The idea was you write your order down and I don't have to tell anybody. There you go. It's you. It's now this separation. But I mean, that's not, I mean, that is that all that, that cannot be everything that the unions are. Do you know what I mean? It can't just be a pinwheel, like a separation of that. Or is it? Is it like, cause you're right. Systemically, my relationship with my one employee, and we ended up having like three employees shortly after that where I was like, well, we're going to start a, uh, uh, like a medical benefits thing and we'll cover up to this much money per month, which is vastly exceeding what they needed. And uh, it's like, we'll cover this. We'll, whatever you do in a regular sort of benefits type package, we'll try to cop copy was, that. But if we had suddenly 30 employees, maybe that wouldn't work. Maybe because there's, it, that human nature thing, is that trust aspect is not there. I think any employer, yeah, any, oh, go ahead, to Lisa. speak to your point, worries about, like Steve said, their, their, their best interest, right? Wouldn't it be lovely sure. if everybody worried about everybody else's best interest? But I think... You know, unions do so much. So it's about um, the negotiations, right? The language and collective agreements, which are mutually agreed upon. Their rights and responsibilities on both sides, both for the employer and the union member. And it lays it out. So everybody theoretically should know what their rights are as well as their responsibilities. Now, employers don't always follow those rights, which is why there's other due processes through uh, through unions. But um, But there's so much more to a union than just that. Right. And I think um, for the most part, I think people are like, well, unions are just there in case people are going to get fired. And, you know, you keep the bad employees and you do all that kind of stuff. And that's just not how it goes. I know Steve will get into that later. Um, but there's so much more involved in the union. Um, and I think it's a responsibility on both sides that of the employer. And it doesn't matter how good an employer you are. At some point, things are going to get down to crunch time. Decisions are going to have to be made and employers will make them in their best interest. And collateral damage most of the time are the workers. And so unions fight for those rights to ensure that even if collateral damage has to happen, there's things that the employer still has to be accountable for. And I think that's important. I think every work environment should be unionized, but that's just me. And I think this the layer behind that is that there's always going to be a power differential, right? At the end of the day, you are, as the employer, holding the cards. 
Like they they can withhold their labor. That is really the only card they hold, right? right? And if they aren't able to collectivize that, that's very difficult to do. But in any situation, the employer holds the vast majority of the cards. And so even at a one-to-one level, there's a power differential. But when you get sure. into like an employment relationship with the government, they can write the law. How am I supposed to negotiate a fair deal with them without collectivization? Right. And so I think lots of people who think, well, just get rid of the unions. Like, well, then, then the government just gets to rule us like kings. <laughs> and, Which and I'm sure not, they wouldn't yeah. mind. And the, I'm, and I don't even think they're capable of doing that at all. I don't think any government's properly capable of running anything properly in, in that regard mm-hmm. as, as being mindful to our needs and changing needs and requirements and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'll, this is this conversation is it's turning into like you guys against me, and I want to make clear that it's not. It's not even though. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't think we're making clear at all. Exactly. Even though I quite clearly <laughs> identified myself as the man, I I want you to know that I, I'm just one of you, little. We people. love you so. Uh, we we <laughs> just we'll, it's, we'll it's so funny line. because this this <laughs> thing happens. Along your um, your your sort of labor awakening, where you you start to view everything in in terms of labor and class and relationship to means of production, right? Like you start to see how that really colors everything that happens, and so you can have good employers, and it, you're a good employer, but the the relationship to the means of production, the relationship to work, remains an employer relationship versus an employee relationship. And they're just different and they need to be weighed differently and looked at differently. And and unions are there to help sort of manage that relationship because it's a complicated one. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I think it's good to, it's good to talk about this because I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of, as you both said, you know, this idea that, uh, Unions will only protect, as Lisa said, unions will only protect the worst employees. As as one union steward told me, this is true, said to me, a union steward said to me, uh, I just protect the shitty. That's it. And I was like, well, that's pretty, that's pretty dire, is the way to put it. Um, but I think it's one of those situations where, I gotta stop saying that, that the, uh, <laughs> the it's too late. The, maybe there's, Things are 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 going fairly well, and then the unions are seen as superfluous. They're seen as not needed. Whereas a, a difference being like with the Amazon union, yeah. it's like, well, I think everyone was looking at that, going, yeah. something's got to give. This is not good. Like there's it's there's so many horror stories coming up from workers. This can't just go on unchecked. It needs to be. They need to start getting a better deal. Do we think that? This is just I'm putting this question up there. I kind of I kind of know the answer, but do we think that uh, in some? Do you think that if, if unions are abandoned, every union anywhere it doesn't matter what it is with the industry or whatever, removing that would immediately result to like robber baron would it would, would immediately result in like total exploitation, or do you think that something would stick? Like would weekends go away entirely for people? Do you know what I mean? Don't chuckle at me, I mean, Lisa. I, well, because I mean that's a loaded question. That's a you know I I, I get where it's coming yeah. from. I think I, th- yeah. I think the importance of unions is actually to sustain some things. Like, do I think weekends would go away? No, but would right. people's hours be changed? Would it be okay? Well, 
Well, instead of working Monday to Friday, now we're going to have you working Tuesday to Saturday. Like there's all those kinds of things that right. I think it's important to have somebody else looking looking into your best interest, right? Um, but I think oh. there's that. But I, I hate using there's the term that. veiled threat because they are mutually agreed upon collective agreements, but it keeps employers accountable. And for some employers, it's hard to say right. if they would yeah. maintain <laughs> that. I mean, we have labor code, right, in all the provinces, but that is the base minimum. Like, it's the base mm-hmm. minimum for any worker. Collective agreements add to that, right? And so um, I I can bet that there were some employers that would uh, right. take advantage right. of that and negatively impact their workers. And it wouldn't matter because they wouldn't have any rules in terms of termination, so they could just get rid of the, the worker and get somebody else to come in. It's a snowball. Cool. That's what I'm saying. Right. And that's it. The exploitive conditions would they would build just so quickly because one of the one of the central issues that's that's like that unions spend a lot of time managing is like legal representation and legal advice because in a lot of situations, if an employer like violates the law and fires an employee without cause or whatever it may be. They that employee often won't have the resources to mount a legal defense. And and so you would wind up with a lot of corporations, a lot of big organizations just running roughshod over people who couldn't do anything about it just because they don't have the financial resources to access the justice system as they should. It seems to me like it's sort of boiled down to its benefits. And and again, I know it's sounding like I occasionally come across anti union. I'm really not. I'm just actually understand the benefits of them entirely. Just every experience I've had has been negative. That's all. That's just a, literally a personal thing. However, that said, it seems it comes down to the balance between that that threat that you had mentioned earlier, right? That idea, like the employer has the ultimate power. Uh, so, for example, me as the man, because uh, it's been established I am that you know I hold the threat it- of being able to terminate someone's employment if they don't comply with new hours, new schedule, new work and working conditions, whatever. And the unions, as opposed to being threatening back in a sense, it's almost just a balance of power. That's all. It's just a balance of power that's happening. Is that is that a good takeaway? Yeah, and and it's it's a hundred percent accurate to suggest that it's about the balance of power because the idea is if an individual withdraws their labor and like takes a day off, yeah. that doesn't really have an impact, but a collectivized strike does. Right, And so it's just the idea of that's our card that we have. And so when you collectivize it, it gets things a lot closer to parity. It's still a power differential, right? Like the mm-hmm. employer still can do a lockout. They can still, you know, like when, when Reagan hired all new air traffic controllers, like there's, there's options. Are you familiar with that story? A little bit, but please tell. Oh, so it was, uh, there was a massive air traffic controller strike. I'm going to try to look it up while I'm talking here. Um, and Ronald Reagan basically said, get to, get back to work or you're all fired. And they didn't get back to work and they were all fired. Um, and it was like, uh, yeah, 11,345 air traffic controllers in 1981. So uh, that was like one of the first big, or, or like one of the major blows to the labor movement in that time was just that reminder of the massive power of employers and how just precarious the position of workers are. So I think, yeah, the, the idea of the, the workers organizing is really just to balance power. And, and 
I think it's probably time to address the point of unions protecting bad workers because that right. idea gets brought up a lot. So, Lisa, <clears throat> do tell. Do you think unions protect bad workers? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I, uh, I I mean, I think a lot of what the union does is procedural. He lays um, the I, trap. I, I, <laughs> jerk. Um, I think there, every scenario is uh, specific to that scenario. Um, I think unions do what's in the best interest of, of each individual member. Um, there's rules and regulations and procedures, right? There's progressive discipline. There's all sorts of things that an employer should be going through. Um, and so I could see why people think, well, that guy's a jerk and he just keeps coming back to work. Uh, but they never know what's happening in the background. Right. And uh, unions can't stop an employer from terminating somebody. They just can't. An employer, regardless of collective agreement, is going to do whatever they think that they can do because time is on their side and they've got the money. Right. The unions will come in and do the procedural part. Um, so whether it's grievances, whether it's arbitrations, whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, employers can get rid of whoever they want with or without cause, despite what a collective agreement may say. But if the worker is going to fight that, time is on the side of the employer because it takes a lot of time to get to where it needs to go. Um, and meanwhile, the worker's waiting. So employers are generally cautious about who they terminate just because it could cost them a lot of money at the end of the day. Um, but my, my take on it, because I've worked in unionized work environments, um, I've gotten that sense from, you know, some colleagues about other colleagues. Oh, yeah. uh, and my advice to people is you just never know what's happening in those doors and those meetings. So the rules apply to everybody. <laughs> so, no, I that's, don't think that's a biggie just shitty, and... shitty workers. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to give you first dibs because this is such an axe to grind of mine and I know I'm going to get rambly. So. <laughs> So whenever people talk about <laughs> unions protecting bad employees, they're always zooming mm -hmm. in on one tiny portion of a far larger picture, right? The employer right. Hi selected and hired and trained that employee. They're responsible for that employee's ongoing professional development and training. They're responsible for performance management, right? They're, they're responsible for all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden, when the employer tries to discipline that person, and the union steps up and says, well, did you follow the process? All of a sudden, it's the union's fault that that employee is being protected. What, e what employers have done in a lot of cases is offload a lot of blame onto the unions. Like um, the amount that Canadian companies in particular are spending on training and Canadian organizations in general is the lowest it's ever been except for one sector. Anyone want to guess? No idea. Finance. It's, oh, finance, right. right? Yeah. They love their retreats, don't you know? <laughs> Team building. How are you going to learn That's about finance favorite. if you're not in Tahiti? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's tough, right? Because the unions are really just there to do their fundamental underlying job, and they get told, you defend bad employees. And like the guy you spoke to, the shop steward, yeah. said, I only defend bad employees. Well, not a lot of good employees are getting called into disciplinary meetings, for starters. Right. But also, the question of good versus bad employee is a complicated one. Sure. Right? Like, we, we're so eager to just say good employee versus bad employee, when in reality, what you're usually talking about, almost always, is compliant employee or employee who's willing to do unpaid labor. Right. <laughs> Those are right. almost right. always the two yeah. things they're looking for. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, What's the interesting, squeaky wheels are usually the ones in those meetings. For sure. And uh, again, to be clear, even though I am the man, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. Because I think I can listen to, <laughs> I can sort of imagine people listening to this going, yeah, but what about, yeah, but what about that type of thing? <laughs> and I guess my question would be, uh, and this is a, you don't have to answer this question, but the question would be, do either of you think there's points in which this, that unions go too far? Is there any aspect of unions that go too far? I know that for things like, for teaching, it seems smart, good to have the union and necessary to have the union. Um, mm -hmm. But then here in Ontario, I don't know if it's the same in other provinces, but here in Ontario, they have the blue pages of the union report or whatever. And it's all the teachers who have been sort of, you know, reprimanded, called up for doing not good things uh, that are not criminal, but getting pretty close. And they're just, that's part of their thing is they get listed in these pages of this report. And uh, it's like, I don't, is that good? I don't know if that's good. I mean, maybe, I guess. So uh, this is this is such an interesting thing. I'm not familiar with this report specifically, but these sort of conduct reports are really mm. common. Is there that sort of conduct reporting stuff in Alberta, Lisa? Not that I know of, not that I've ever seen, but <laughs> I, maybe in various sectors. I'm might pretty be. sure they were pushing for it. I think they were pushing for it for teachers. I don't know if it's there yet. But in Saskatchewan, so for a long time, um, the STF, the SAS Teachers Federation, uh, was responsible for represent uh, representing teachers, and they were also responsible for discipline and professional sure. conduct, which yeah. it's got its issues for pretty obvious reasons. And sure. so they split those off, uh, and so that they formed something called the. Um, oh my goodness, it, the name has flown out of my head, um, but it's a professional college of some kind, basically. And they had a bunch of cases brought forward in order, and it was very much in an attempt to sort of smear teachers. Because right. basically any complaint you wanted, frivolous <clears throat> or no, could be brought forward. And whether it was proven or not, it almost immediately became public record. And like the stuff that people were getting rung up for was pretty thin. And mm -hmm. the entire point was really just to, to hang teachers up in the public square so that they could be publicly shamed. Right. And like one person, uh, they went through like this massive six month plus disciplinary process because they threw a marker. Right. Uh, it was just a right. teacher just went and threw a marker. Yeah. Uh, like another one went through a multi-year disciplinary process because they bought a coat off a kid and the coat was stolen. Um, right. Like stuff like this, like stuff that's not good by any stretch. I'm not going to defend either of these cases, but sure. Does that person really de deserve trial in the public square and right. a permanent Googleable smear on their name? Like mm -hmm. that. Those. So I get the purpose behind those. But like when you really think about it, those sort of public registries are always there to serve a purpose. And you got to ask yourself, what purpose are they serving? Same as sort of the sunshine list, <laughs> right? Like the sunshine list was established how many years ago? And $100,000 in Toronto yeah. is not exactly an ear splitting no. salary. No. And yet people are getting hung up in the public square again just because, you know, they're I don't know if that's a bad metaphor. I'm thinking of names, but I feel like I'm using a bad metaphor and I'm going to stop using it now. <laughs> I mean, like, Such restraint. So anybody under a college, so like, you know, a psychologist, a lawyer, 
a doctor, like any complaints that come in and they go through the process of hearing is public record, right? And so that's always the danger when you hold right. designation of some kind is that there should be a means for a general public to look up so-and-so to see if they're a good whatever. Um, we did have in Alberta, the ATA, the government was it mad that the ATA both represented yeah. and disciplined teachers. And so they that was a big hubbub of, of trying to separate the two. But like the College of Psychologists does that. They represent their their mm -hmm. members, but they also discipline their members, right? The Law Society of Alberta does that. Um, and it's a fine balance, right, of both protecting and disciplining where necessary. Um, I'm not a fan of public shaming. I think the processes in and of themselves should be the means to the end, right, of whether somebody did something wrong or didn't do something wrong and what the next step is. Um, but people love a good story and they like to read about, you know, what somebody did that was so bad. The black and white of the teacher throwing the marker. Horrible. How dare a teacher throw a marker? But what happened? Right. Mm -hmm. Like what we weren't there. So if it's not giving the details right. of that specific and issue, it. then it's just sensationalizing it. Right. So. Yeah. People yeah. love drama. So what I'm, my takeaway is that uh, unions pretty good. Is that, <laughs> Union is that great. On the, on Union the balance, great. it's it's on the balance. It's funny because like it, it, nothing's ever all good or all bad. It's people. Sure. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Like, I I go to these these STF. Uh, so STF is set up almost like a parliamentary democracy. Mm. So we've got our executive council who are like the 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 big kahunas, the big dealios. <laughs> and then we've got uh, the the council who are like 250 some odd teachers who are elected. And I'm one of those guys. And we go once a year and have this massive plenary session and vote on everything. And it's the people, man. It is like from one year to another, based on who's participating, who shows up has a massive impact. So like whenever we talk about unions as being monolithic, like what it, they're they're composed of the people who show up to the meetings right like right. it's not just the people who vote it's not just the people who you know talk to their shop steward it's the people who show up to the meetings because that's mm -hmm. what they're all fighting for is just having employees show up mm -hmm. because they live and die by participation right well the fact and that it all comes down to people doesn't make me feel any better but uh, yes but yeah, employers know that. Sure. Like any employer sure. that is a unionized work environment knows how many people are going to the meetings, right? Knows what the involvement is. And that has impact. Yeah. It has impact on, impact. you know, um, good work environments. It has impact on potentials for discipline for people. It has impact on bargaining. Um, and that's where the, and the involvement is. that's why you is, need is excellent key. treats at your meetings. Pizzas, <laughs> right? Pizza every time gets the people coming. Pizzas are good. Um, we got, we got, uh, we got fresh baked cookies at ours as a go-to. Everybody nice. shows up for the cookies. Nice. I'm going to give you an example of like <laughs> that's what employers do that I think is really shitty. Um, so, City of Edmonton workers um, yeah. are going through bargaining yeah. since God 2020 2019. Um, and so they just did a strike vote. 91% voted in favor of striking, which is really going to shut down things like 911 operations, like 311. Um, 
important parts of the city, right? Important but they're fighting part. back on not just right. the fact that they haven't gotten a wage increase in four years, they've taken five years, they've taken zeros. Um, but it's language, right? And language is also uh, important. It's not just wait, the money. Wait, wait. So it's on the news. Okay. We're talking about it. You know, this is what potentially could happen. And then they interview some expert as well as a city councilor. And the expert says that, well, if the city hasn't budgeted for what is beyond their proposed increases at the table, um, then the consequence of that is going to be, you know, it's going to fall on the residents of Edmonton, right? right? And so that means taxes are going to yeah. go up for, right. you know, individuals and business taxes are going to go up for individuals. Yeah. Stop vilifying workers. Stop, Stop vilifying workers that just yeah. want Stop. to be yeah. compensated appropriately and maybe vilify in this instance, the city of Edmonton, who didn't budget to give their workers a fair increase because clearly yeah. they don't care enough about their workers to give them a fair increase. That kind of stuff drives me insane when they vilify workers for just fighting for what is right. So I'll get off the my example that now. comes <laughs> flying into my head. <laughs> the example that comes flying into my head is in Regina a couple of years ago. Um, there's a cooperators refinery in Regina that went on strike for a fair while. And the school that I teach at was actually disrupted by this in a very strange way. So the workers are there picketing and they're, you know, forming a picket line and all the all the standard stuff. They were there for quite a while. And there was a lot of contentiousness about, you know, getting trucks across the picket line and all those things, that, as you would expect. But in order to keep the facility running, they brought in a bunch of scabs. Um, we'll use the word. Yes, we will. <laughs> they, they brought in a bunch Proudly. of scabs to work there and they established like, Camp Scabmore. Um, and so they had like temporary housing set up behind the refinery and they were helicoptering in the scabs past my school all day, every day, <laughs> just helicopters on helicopters <laughs> upon helicopters. And I, my students were like, what's going on? I'm like, well, they're paying to fly people in and out to work there. And the kids are like, can't they just pay the workers? I'm yeah. like, isn't that an excellent question? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, they have the money to run their helicopter tours and all this stuff, yeah. but as soon as it's time to pay the workers a fair wage, they're like, oh, heavens to Betsy, couldn't possibly. Forgot my checkbook and my yacht. You know how it is. Right. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating because <laughs> it's also, I mean, it, it's in, it's in, it's, it indicates that it's like, it's indicative that it's, uh, it's obviously not just about the money to the, to the, the employer as well. Like, it's like, sure, it's like, if it's just a case of money, surely somebody in finance no, would have said, no, no, this is, it's cheaper if we just give them what they want rather than fly people in by helicopter because that's untenable. Let's not keep doing this. Uh, however, it's, they must be looking at going, okay, well, there's there's obviously more. We, we don't want to let go of the our heavy part of the scale or anything like that. And it's fascinating it's to me. But it all comes down to people. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Employers will posture all the time because they can they have mm -hmm. the money, right? And so, like Steve was saying, mm -hmm. it's the involvement from the union members because, you know, I think people think that, like, just strikes just happen. Like, oh, yeah, we're not getting what we right. want, so we walk yeah. out. There are yeah. so many right. steps before you get to strike. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And getting that involvement uh, and mobilization yeah. from, from the membership yeah. is the threat. Yeah. The strike isn't even the threat. Yeah. But seeing right. the mobilization right. of the workers is what the employer will notice and go, shit, yeah. I guess we got to get back to the table, right? So <laughs> yeah. that's what's yeah. important. 
they they realize exactly how pissed off workers have to be to show up to meetings and answer emails. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that wasn't exactly complimentary, but you're right. Um, Emma, we like we all know it's true. When things are when the temperature is turned up, people actually show up. Yeah. But I will say when it comes to the posturing, it's a million percent true because every time there has been picketing for Saskatchewan teachers, the Saskatchewan government's taken out an anti-teacher billboard right beside it. Crazy. Every single yep. time. Crazy. Yep. Oh, man. Like, you got to understand, it's wild out here, man. The the, the education minister went on uh, Twitter and uh, outright lied to the public about bargaining. He was like, the teachers walked away from the bargaining table yeah, and like right. the bargaining table was in the STF building. <laughs> like, like, where are they going to go? Yeah. We're going to leave. <laughs> We're leaving. This is your office. <laughs> We're leaving. You live here. Okay. You're yeah, leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Someone leave. <laughs> oh, yeah. it was bizarre. It was Well, just all I can bizarre. say is that like, like, I know in Al- sorry, I know in Alberta, um, oh, go ahead. This year. This year's a bargaining year in Alberta for a lot of public sector. So that includes teachers, it includes nurses, it includes other areas of healthcare, it's government, it's everything. Um, and so I think it'll be interesting to see what this UCP government does with bargaining. Um, I know last round uh, didn't go very well. So um, if anybody is not in Australia listening, but in Alberta, and works in public sector. <laughs> I'm going to suggest you guys need to start mobilizing now because <laughs> I can't anticipate that this is going to go well. Start um, mobilizing and start tucking your pennies aside because buckle up, folks. Yeah. And yeah. you, as you mentioned, the top Wait. of this podcast, the tide is turning. Like you can tell, like even like in Ontario with the nurses uh, bill, bill, whatever it was. I bill say 124. 124. Um, and I think everyone was like, what, what, wait, wait a minute. And that exposing the fact that, you know, the Ontario government was spending, was spending three times as much on nurses from private agencies that they were spending on nurses that were hired yep. directly to work for the hospital and for the government. And it's like, well, there's a problem there. If you can afford three times as much. You can obviously afford to pay the, the ones you've got better and you can afford to, to hire more. Like, the, and I think the public is now ca- catching on to this idea of like, well, this isn't good. Like, we, this is stupid. Like, we should just, obviously, we should can that. I do love the fact that uh, the Ford government here in Ontario is, it just takes a, a little bit of public pushback, and they're so desperate to be liked. It's like, uh, yeah, uh, let's, we've heard, listen, we heard the people. It's fine. So yeah, We're not going to do it anymore. So, I mean, that's good, <laughs> I guess. The political windsock that is Doug Ford. Doug yes, Ford. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's a... That's a very kind way to describe it. He doesn't know what's going on until it's on Twitter. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, I... So, it's funny, because every now and then, whenever I, like, encounter a politician and have a conversation with them, my primary takeaway is, like, how are you in charge of anything? Oh, my God. (laughs) There's so many of them. But I mean, that goes back down to the, the, the people thing. Like, that's, that, that's the thing. It's all about the people and the people you're working with, the people that you're, you're engaging with. And they, the people are very so wildly in, in intelligence and in, in enthusiasm and work ethic and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's like I remember being told, I was talking to a guy who's a lobbyist 
And he said he told he tells his mother he plays piano in a bordello because it sounds more respectable. And um, he <laughs> said uh, we were talking about you know we we're talking about my sons who are in their early twenties, and he's like, we have interns who come in and work for us, and uh, I tell each of them. Um, you think there's a room full of smart people that are running things. There is no room. There are no smart people. It's just us. That's it. It's just people. It's just regular people. And we're all idiots and we're all, that's it. We're all screwed. You're, if you get a smart person, you're lucky. And a bunch of, a bunch of like consultants and analysts trying desperately to talk those people into not ruining everything. Exactly. Exactly. But you know what's funny? <laughs> and when being we talk roundly about... ignored. When we talk about politics and we talk about unions, the same complaint I have about union members and their engagement and, and mobilizing and, and all that kind of stuff, it goes to the rest of us too. If people fail to show up to vote, then you get what you get. If workers oh fail to show up, you get what you get, right? And so I think everybody needs to show up. I mean, yeah. we, we talk about freedoms in Canada and, and, and rights and responsibilities. We have the 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 right uh, to vote, right. but we need to make the commitment to do so, regardless of what that is. If it's you know, whatever it is in politics, if we're talking about you know your collective agreement ratifications of that, if you are given the opportunity to make your voice heard, make your damn voice heard, or else nothing's going to move forward ever. Well, and you're a hundred percent right because apathy feeds on like, so the, the establishment feeds on apathy, right? The way that mm-hmm, things sure. are feeds on people not having the will to make it change. And the yeah. apathy is in no small part by design, right? Like you, when you look at the Canadian political sphere right now, you get three different flavors of neoliberalism. It's basically like the Neapolitan ice cream of politics. And so there's a lot of people who don't feel like they have anything to vote for, so they don't show right. up. Right. And with unions, unions have in a lot of ways been structurally undermined through legislation and through the law. And so they feel this hopelessness and they think, well, my union can't really do anything, so they don't show up. So what's up. the point? Mm-hmm. Right. And so that apathy just feeds upon that. And then you get that. that... So I heard this, this uh, quote from... I can't remember her last name. She's a creator on TikTok whose name is Ismatu. She was talking about this sort of internalized apathy and how it it really just shuts down progress and it shuts down deeper thought. And what she said was, if you get people to the point where they don't care enough to read the books, then you don't need to burn them. <laughs> wow. Right? That's 100% right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Right. Like it's it's when people just don't care enough to push to make things better then the establishment wins. And it's a real easy win on there. So what I'm hearing is that at the heart of it all, the electorate is the biggest union there is. And we're all members. Is that good? That's I didn't get as much of a reaction as the book quote, but I mean, it should have deserved something, didn't it? I didn't hear anything you just said. <laughs> Your oh voice went all robo It was so good, too. <laughs> it, was, it was so good. I was say so... it again. Say it again. It sounded insightful. Do it. Do it. Do it. 
It was just pretend it was insightful because the list, the people listening and watching will have heard it. So that's fine. But I'll say it again for Steve. Fascinating. Um, so at the heart of it all, I'll say it in the same tone. At the heart of it all, the electorate is the biggest union, and we're all already members. Oh, it's so deep. Let me put my boots <laughs> on. It's getting deep. Go in to hell. Here. I'm, that's it. I'm ending I'm, the episode. <laughs> I'm going to spend the next week I love creating it. a sash. I love it. I'm here for it. I'm going to get a sash for Stuart that says, the man. <laughs> the man. That's right. The man. You can put it on your wall of sashes. The man. Do you want to use The man. <laughs> yeah. You know, know, we've really got to flesh out your sash collection. I think I'm a... Oh God, I just lost my microphone. It fell off my toilet rolls. There we Bog go. rolls. Bog rolls, sorry. <laughs> people don't believe that. I wonder if I can lift this up and show people at home. Don't show them your secrets. <laughs> He's on the we're road on today, folks. We're, that's right. I'm tuning in from, beaming in from London, England, not Ontario. They love it when you say that here as well, by the way. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so we'll we'll tell stories from teaching in London at some point, probably in the next episode. But for today, I do. I, I did uh, when I first started teaching there. And I was subbing at a school and I got a complaint called into the school about me. Oh, and wow. the complaint was that I had told a class of children that I came from vagina. <laughs> and I was like, you are close, but you are wrong. Good, sir. But that they're not like, wrong. Hang on a second. Vagina. That gives me a they're great idea wrong. for a tourism campaign. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's like, and then at That's a deeper, true. more factual level, you are indeed correct. So they're just <laughs> correct. They're just but I can't talk about, about that thing. because conservative <laughs> government. So yeah. <laughs> That's for another day. That's another day. Oh. That's for another day. Yeah. All right. Well, let's yeah. order wrap this episode tales up. Of question box. Thank you so much for everyone for uh, listening to this episode or watching it and suffering through it uh, like you suffered through the first one. Will we reach 124 in the charts, news charts in Australia this week? Who knows? One can knows? only aspire. We'll uh, but we'll have to close out the show like we always do as a tradition um, with an improvised theme song. Um, who would like more roll? Okay, I'm going to try to make my water bottle make noises. Are you gonna I am never singing. This oh, time, wait. No. I have I have a train whistle on my desk. Oh, that's desk. perfect. All aboard for sales. That sounds great. Okay, what are you doing, Lisa? What are you doing? I'm 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 giving you that's... some beat to start with. Okay, that's right. Let's let's get a, get a rhythm going. Let's get all aboard. Podcast is broken. All aboard. Podcast is broken. It's a podcast that's doing pretty well. It's broke the top 130 in Australia. That's good enough. We don't want to... Nice ending. People are going to not go all the way to the end. They're going to stop at like two minutes out. No. Only... No, that's exactly. the reward. That's, that's right. the reward. So for the three of you who are listening right now, see, <laughs> it was worth it. It's the light at the end of the tunnel. Thanks for listening, guys. Train whistle, tunnel. I'm going to take care of folks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so.